0: All right. well if you don't have a Bible, snag one, okay, from around the edges of the room. You can turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Hey, and so yeah, did you guys see the article in the paper about the shelter? How many of you guys saw that? Yeah, it's good. We opened up. The shelter opened this week on Monday night at the other building. And uh, throughout most of the week, there's typically been four to seven people staying there. And four to seven. And uh, yeah, it's gone really, it's gone really good. So look, Mario's got, you can talk to Mario this morning. If you are interested in, in prepa- uh, preparing a dinner for them uh, some night or something like that for uh, the folks that are staying there, Mario will sign you up in connection to that. Yeah, okay, jump up, Mario. There she is, right there. Okay. So yeah, just different, they've gone, every, every night there's been dinner supplied through various various volunteers, whether they're from the church or the community, and it's been really good. And Obviously, naturally, there's a bit of pushback with something like that in your neighborhood. Not everybody wants that, and we understand that, but uh, the Lord opened the door for us to serve in this way, and so we just stepped into it, and it's gonna operate till March 31st, and so that's, that's good news. It's a really cool way to serve the community, and so I'm thankful for that. So, right on. Some claps. Yeah, it is. It's good. So... Good stuff. Uh, yeah, Romans chapter twelve. Are you there in your Bibles? All right, good. This is one of the uh, this is one of the great. I mean, it feels like I say this a few times throughout the book of Romans that this is one of the good chapters of the New Testament. But it's true. Again, this is just like another another great section of Scripture that we have. And um, maybe I'll, I'll just introduce it slightly before we we read it and pray. And basically, just like, like Paul had this pattern in most of his letters that, it, that it's this. If you, if you read Paul's letters, typically he introduces you to some theology and then he gives you practice. He gives you the practical outworking of your doctrine and your theology and, and application for following Jesus in life. And that's important. And this is where he's going to go here. And it, it's important because, you know, it's what we believe about Jesus. It's what we believe about ourselves, uh, that directs our relationship with God, the vertical relationship with God, and the horizontal relationship that we have with people. And so Paul in these like first 11 chapters of Romans, there's been lots of practical stuff. But a lot of what he's taught has to do with, you know, vertical relationship with God and, and how that directs You know towards other people it's been it's been theology and now he's going to get really practical for us and so this morning we're actually going to just look at the first eight verses and to me this flows out of the doxology right where he leaves off at the end of chapter 11 he says this look at verse 33 of chapter 11 he says "Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul, and so we we just kind of touched down here last week. Paul, Paul says this, he says this funny word about the Lord or at least it's translated funny for us, inscrutable. He says his judgments are inscrutable. That means that it's sometimes hard to understand. But who has the mind of the Lord? He says about the Lord that the Lord is, you know, free from outside control. He's independent. He's not under anyone's authority. That, that, and he says this about the Lord that, that the Lord is indispensable in our lives. It's from him and to him and through him be all things. He's absolutely necessary for us and for all things. And so from him and to him and through him are all things. And his conclusion is this. Worship God. To God be the glory. And now he launches into chapter 12. So let's check it out. Verse verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore brothers. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Again, Lord, we love the written word because the written word leads us to the living word, Jesus. And Jesus, our heart is to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of you this morning. We pray, God, that you would just give us that that spirit of wisdom and discernment, Lord. That as we read your word, you would help us, help us to know how to walk with you and, and to live with you and to live for you. And so God, we ask your spirit's blessing upon this time that you would help us to see the wonderful things, Lord, that are in your word. May you speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so out of the doxology, Paul, Paul gives this appeal and so here he's gonna address two things in this chapter and we're gonna just touch on the first one this morning and it's, it's this, is your relation with God that's the first thing he's going to talk about the vertical relationship and then he's going to go to uh, And next week we'll look at this your horizontal relationship your relationship with people and so in verse 1 he says I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Now remember, our launch point was to God be the glory. It's in light of God's glory and all the theological truth of Romans so far that we should say, what is God requiring of me? What is a reasonable response to God? That's a good question. That's a good question when you think about it. You know, it's like, what does God want from you and me? You know, when I, once, once I come to faith in Jesus, I, I have to decide did I want God to be glorified in my life. And, and so I have to ask the question, well, what does my relationship with God practically look like? How should all of these things affect the vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father? Uh, this week I was, I was coaching uh, Eli's hockey team on Monday night. I, I coached their practice and They've been a rather difficult group this year uh, for a variety of reasons mainly because they're 13 and 14 year olds and and that's like I, I've just found like now I've been coaching my kids for lots of years and 13 14 they're the worst okay so it just just is they just they're they're they th- they're, old, they're younger than they think they are. You know, they don't know as much as they think they do. And so, you know, I've been struggling with this group a little bit. So, so this week we were, I had them, we were in the middle of the drill, I blew the whistle, we pa- I paused the drill, and I was giving some finer instruction in regards to what I expected. And in the corner of my eye, there's a kid over on this side, and he starts playing with a puck. Now That's a no-no if you're a coach. If you've ever coached hockey, it's like, You stand still. You listen to your coach. Don't touch the puck. And then he starts flicking the puck off the boards. (laughs) These guys were pushing me as it was to start. So I blew the whistle. Hard lap, everybody! You know, just (laughs) losing my mind. And I make them do a lap. And I come in and ten push-ups right now. And one on this side, over on this side, gives two push-ups out of ten. You know, everybody else is down and going. And I can see him drop late into this whole thing. And I said, okay, because so-and-so didn't do them. Now we're going to do lightnings, which are sprints. Then we're coming back to do some more push-ups. Then we're doing more lightnings. And you better all do everything. So they, they, they did the, I'm just losing my mind. And then I called them in and I balled them out for a few minutes. And then we had like an awesome practice from there on in. Because, you know, I was demanding a response from these kids. Which is necessary in that situation. Now Romans 12 starts out here and it's interesting because it's not a demand that Paul is giving us from God. It's not like what I gave those kids, but it's an appeal. He says, in light of these things, in, in, in light of the glory of God, I urge you. And that's the way God works. You know, God is... Not a demander. He's a persuader. He's, he's urging us. He's calling us. He doesn't say I demand this from you. He says I urge you and I encourage you with the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit. That you would respond to who I am. And so in view of his mercy. Looking through that lens of God's mercy. In light of God's heart of compassion and mercy towards us. God's compassion towards you. Paul says, here's what you should do. This is your practical response. Present your body to God as a living sacrifice. Now the concept of a a living sacrifice is kind of, if you know the Old Testament and know know your Bible and, and, and history, you know that that's pretty revolutionary. I mean, before Jesus in the Old Testament, as an act of worship and as an act of sacrifice, worshipers brought animals to the Lord those animals were sacrificed their blood was shed and and that was how sacrifice worked there was death involved with sacrifice but in Christ Jesus we know this that that God the father has gained access to that which he always wanted it was you. And there is no need for the shedding of blood to atone for sin because Jesus has done that once for all. Jesus is the sacrifice that gave his life for you and I. And your father in heaven, he he wants you. Not some dead animal sacrifice that you might bring to him. Not some dead sacrifice, he wants you. And because Jesus died for your sin, because he was buried, because he was raised to life again, the scripture tells us, we've seen this in Romans, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in, is in, that is in Christ Jesus. And so God does not want your sacrifice. God wants you. The scripture says, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so the appeal is that you would offer yourself to him, that you would offer to him your body. And so now we bring ourselves to the altar of worship, and and we say this to the Lord. Lord, because of all that you've done for me, I want you to have all of me. I give you my body. One of the challenges that, that a living sacrifice presents compared to a dead sacrifice is, you know, a living sacrifice can get up off the altar. That's the challenge for you and me. It's like one day I present myself to God and the next day I take the sacrifice back. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, right, I forgot. You know, Lord, that I would offered myself to you. And so this is a daily challenge for you and I. This is very practical. This is Christianity 101. That we have to present ourselves to the Lord for his glory, for his use, for his purposes. And God wants you. You know, when we present ourselves to the Lord, this isn't about, you know, this isn't just what you can do for him. It's not what this is about. It's so easy to slide into that place of just, Doing things for God and thinking that's what God wants. God wants me to do things for him. And yet our heart is far away from him. But God wants us. He wants our lives to be set apart for him. And so the act of presenting ourselves to God. Paul says is called something. He says it's called spiritual worship. This is true spiritual worship. Remember the story of the woman at the well. John chapter 4 the Samaritan woman. Jesus has this exchange with this woman about water and the need for water. And he says to her, I am living water. If you come to me, you will never thirst ever again. And Jesus told that woman, he said to her that the time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And our Father in heaven is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And this is what Paul is presenting to us here. This is your spiritual act of worship to present your body to God. You know other versions of the, of the Bible, other translations, rather than calling this the spiritual act of worship, they call it the reasonable service. This is a reasonable service. This is a reasonable response, which means that presenting your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice is logical. It's a rational act on the basis of everything Jesus has done for you. You present yourself to him. I just think, well, it kind of, you know, in my mind, what does that prayer sound like? What does it look like? I don't know. It's like, Jesus, I lay down my life for you. I present myself to you because you laid down your life for me. You know, I don't want to miss out on anything that you have for me. I don't want to miss out on anything you have for me today. I don't want to miss out on anything eternal. I offer you my life. I offer you my body as a living sacrifice Use me, consume me for your glory, for your name. You know, before Jesus, before we trusted in Jesus, we used our bodies to satisfy the appetites of the flesh. We used our bodies to satisfy the appetites of the sinful nature. But now, now that we've come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to use our bodies for God's glory and for God's purposes. Our body, the scripture says, is his temple. Our our body is the dwelling place which the the spirit of God resides in. And so what you do with your body as a Christian is very important. It matters to God. It matters to Jesus how you treat his temple. What you do with that temple. There was a, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he said this. He said, Christianity is the most materialistic religion in the world because it has to do with our bodies, physical things. Not, not materialistic in the sense of, of money, but materialistic in terms of the sense of this physical body. And so Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's he saying? He's saying this, wave your right. Wave your right to yourself. Wave your right to your body. That's, that is the living sacrifice God wants. That is the act of spiritual worship the spirit of God is appealing to you for this morning. That you wave your rights to yourself and you present yourself to him. Not only does he... Want your body, wants your mind as well. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Calvin, I'm going to get you to jump up there a couple slides. Jump up there. A dedicated body and the second thing the Lord wants is a decontaminated mind. A decontaminated mind. And the principle of this verse that we just read is this is well I would say it's this. Don't be a chameleon. Be a caterpillar. <laughs> Don't be a chameleon, be a caterpillar. You know you know what a chameleon what chameleons are known for. They they have their ability to change color so as to blend into their environment. They conform to their world. And the Lord says this or Paul says this The Spirit of God says through him, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Conforming to this world means that that we follow the standard and we make ourselves similar to the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world is one that is resisting God, that is fighting against God. And the world wants control of your mind. But Jesus wants to transform your mind. He wants to change your mind. Jesus wants to renovate your mind. I was thinking about that. It's like, it's like a reality TV show. This old house, you know, or something like that. Let me in there. I'm going to knock down those walls, and we're going to change this, and we're going to do this. The Lord wants to renovate your mind, clean up the old house, and modernize things. And the word that, the word that Paul uses to describe what Jesus does, it, desires to do with your mind is transform. It's a unique word in New Testament Greek. The word for transform is the same word that was used to describe Jesus when he was transfigured before Peter, John, and James. Literally before Peter, James, and, and John, and in the presence of, the, the scripture tells us Moj, Moses and Elijah appeared and on that mountaintop, Jesus was transformed into another another form. And the Greek word that's used here that we that we translate into the English English here transform is the same root word from which we derive the, the idea of a metamorphosis. The Lord wants to make a metamorphosis of your of your mind, which really describes a, a change of character, a change of physical form. Just like a caterpillar that transforms it it's it, it undergoes a metamorphosis and becomes a butterfly. You know, when we were in in Romans chapter 8, we read this in verse 29 for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's a metamorphosis. You've been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And and Verse 30 says this and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified. That means he finished the work of the metamorphosis. Yeah you're right. And So glory is our identity. Glory is actually our identity before the father because of Jesus but glory will not simply be our identity, but our reality, when forever we are with Jesus, like Blake read to us, that great scripture of what's happening in the throne room. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to learn to think differently. Our minds have to be transformed. They have to be renovated. And it's a transformation that, that happens in the mind. It's supernatural by which God changes our mind from the pattern of this world into the form of another kind. It's called the mind of Christ. Not the mind of this world, the mind of Christ. And the result of having the mind of Christ is that we will know, he says, the will of God. And so he says, don't be a chameleon, be a caterpillar. And the difference between Conforming to the world and being transformed has really been, it's also been compared to that of a a thermometer and a thermostat. You know, if you think about those two things, a thermometer adjusts to the temperature of its surroundings. All a thermometer does is conform to the temperature around it and it reports, this is the temperature around me. But a thermostat changes the temperature. It changes the atmosphere around it. It changes the temperature of culture. And so for you and I, God God is not calling us to be thermometers, but thermostats. Not to conform, but to transform. And the key to this transformation is the renewing of the mind and the component that God uses to renew our minds is what? The word of God. The word of God. That's why you need to spend time in the Word of God. That's why I need to be spending time in the Word of God until we think like God thinks, until we feel like God feels, until your mind has been transformed within. You know, caterpillars are kind of ugly, aren't they? Like, I, yeah, that's right. I totally think caterpillars are an ugly creature. I, I remember, I just, whenever I think about a caterpillar, I, I, I think about when I was a kid, and I don't know if we had like a massive infestation around our area one time, but the alder trees, you know, just full of caterpillars, these ugly orange things, and they're like, kid, you're playing in the bush, they're dropping out of the trees, into your hair, or the whole thing. They're just, I don't like caterpillars. And, but the interesting thing about a caterpillar, right, is we know this, is that they they, they form into the chrysalis. They They weave that thing and go inside of it and it's pretty ugly too. (laughs) Just this, I don't know what it is. Just stuck there and this creature's inside. And underneath it all, what's happening on the inside is this transformation, this metamorphosis and one day a beautiful butterfly is going to come out. Don't be a chameleon. Be a caterpillar. And so when we talk about the world and, and the pattern of this world that we're not to conform to, you know, I think of two things that the world really um, bases its thinking upon. The first one I would say is this, feelings. Feelings. The life based on feelings says, wow. Well, how do you feel? How do you feel about your job? How do you feel about that relationship? How do you feel about your marriage? How do you feel about the worship at church today? Life based on feelings. The feelings are out front and it controls all of life. Another thing that the pattern of this world primarily bases its thinking on is doing. And the life based on doing is just focused on that activity and doing. It it derives its sense of joy and contentment always from what is being done. The activities, the performance, you know. In that kind of thinking, performance is everything. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Give me four points. Give me seven points. Give me three points, you know. And it's not that feeling and and doing don't come into play for the renewed transformed mind. It's just that the transformed mind does not start with the question, how do I feel? The transformed mind does not start with the question, what should I be doing? The transformed mind starts with this question, and this is important. What does God's word say? What is God's plan? What is true? What will glorify Jesus? Those questions come first before feelings and doing. The transformed mind says, what does God's word say about my feelings? The transformed mind says, what does God's word say about my job and the practices of my work? What does God's word say about my marriage? What does God's word say about my participation in worship at church this morning? What does God's word say? That's the first question of the transformed mind. And so Paul gives us a, a simple kind of two-step method here for knowing the will of God. You want to you know the will of God? Two steps, he says. The first one, present your body as a living sacrifice. Start your day with a prayer. You know, I heard, I heard somebody say this and I just... I love it, he, I can't, and I can't remember who it was, who, who I heard say this, but it's like, man, I want to present my body to the Lord before I roll out of bed and my feet touch the ground. Laying there, you know? Jesus, good morning. Good morning, Jesus. Before anything happens today, Jesus, I want my life to glorify you. And so I present myself to you. Before I have my cup of coffee, Before I roll, that's hard. Before I roll out of bed, I want to give you my body. In my thoughts, in my actions, in my heart, I am asking that you would consume me. I am asking that you would fill me. I present myself to you as a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The second thing he tells us for knowing the will of God, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why it's important that we spend time in God's word every day. Not just, you know, eat once a week on a Sunday morning at church. But every every day in the word of God. And we don't spend time in God's word simply to, to gain knowledge. We spend time in the word of God to commune with the Lord. We spend time in the word of God to have our hearts changed. To have the Lord just do the renovation in that area of our lives. And we know this that primarily God speaks through his word. His word is a a living and an active word. And when we read it, you know, nothing ever comes off the page. You know, nothing ever comes out of the Bible by accident. It's like, oh wow, that was interesting. It's like the spirit of God is always pointing and speaking through the word of God and communicating and putting his finger on our lives and communicating specifically to us. And so, practically, we present our body to God as a living sacrifice and we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then he says, then you will be able. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, people often ask that question. How do I know the will of God? Romans 12, 1 and 2 is just a great place to start. You know, dedicate your body, decontaminate your mind. And, and you'll discover the will of God. And so Paul has told us what we are to do in, in our relationship with God. We're to offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. We are not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And now he's gonna almost flip the conversation in a second. He's gonna say, now here's what you're not to do. Here's what you're to do. Now practically, here's what you're not to do. Check out verse three. It says this, for the grace well, I'm going to tell you what it is. The first thing he's going to say is this. Don't be a snob. <laughs> don't be a snob. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul is, is in a second here, he's going to actually start talking about spiritual gifts and the, how they should function in the, in the church and in our lives. But before he does. It's necessary that he gives us a word about humility. About humility. Don't let what God has done in your life. Or what God is doing in your life. Turn you into a religious snob. That's the warning. You know what a snob is? It's a person with an exaggerated respect for themselves. And for others in position or with wealth or. You know, a snob is someone who only seeks to associate with certain crowds and people that they would view as superior to others and they look down on other people and view other people as inferior. And it's very possible to be a religious snob, isn't it? What do we call it? A rigid, religious snobbery is to be holier than thou. That's the old, that's the old lining. You know, the line just nose in the air. And so Paul says, you have to watch out for that. When we know God's will and we do it and we're communing and having a relationship with God, don't be proud of that. Don't let your head swell. Big deal. You know, it's God's grace in your life that that's happened. And so he says, stay, stay humble. Measure, he says, measure the faith that God has given to you. How are you putting to work the faith God has given you. That's the measurement. Not other people. Not this inflated head. You know in 1 Corinthians. The, uh, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And sandwiched in between two chapters on spiritual gifts. Is that, that chapter that we all know and love. It's 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. And the whole point of the way that's organized. Is to communicate to us that the giftedness is meaningless unless it's accompanied by love. And so here, when Paul begins to talk about spiritual giftedness, the fact that always levels the playing field is grace. That anything you have is by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The unmerited favor of God. The gifts that each of us have received in Christ are an act of God's grace towards us. It's not what we've done. From first to last, spiritual gifts are an act of grace. And so as you discover God's will in your life, as you discover how he has gifted you to serve him, because everyone here is uniquely gifted to serve the Lord and his kingdom, you have to step out in in the measure of faith God has given you. So he says, don't don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't, Don't get intoxicated with yourself. Be sober-minded, clear-headed, so that you can function in what God has called you to function in, in his will. Warren Wiersbe, uh, he's a Bible commentator I love, preacher I love, and he tells a story, he says this, "I, I once ministered with two men who had opposite attitudes towards their gifts. The one man constantly belittled his gifts and would not use them. And the other man constantly boasted about gifts he did not possess. Actually, both of them were guilty of pride because both of them refused to acknowledge God's grace and let him have the glory. And so the warning is this. Man, view yourself with sober judgment. You know, for some of you, I would say this. It's view yourself with sober judgment. For others, considering Warren's story, you need to quit making excuses and begin to function in the callings and the giftings God's placed upon your life. And so that's what Paul says, it's about the measure of faith. He's saying step out in faith. Step out in faith in the way that God has gifted each one of you. He's given you spiritual gifts. And if you're unsure about the way God has gifted you, then start by backing up to the first part of this chapter. Present your body to God as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Look at verse 4. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And so... You know, as a group of people, if we just even consider our room, I mean, we come from all sorts of different backgrounds and family upbringings, and we have different natural giftings, and we have different spiritual giftings. And yet, though we're all different, God's brought us into one body, one one family. We have unity, but not uniformity. We've found common ground in Jesus. He's, he's brought us into his body and he's made us into one. Many members with different functions. All unique. All with a role. Everyone important to the health of the whole. You know, as I, as I, as I just kind of was in this chapter this week, and this part of chapter 12 just kind of jumped out to me because it's the, the emphasis on God's, um grace it's it's his grace from which our gifts are sourced we can't we can't take credit um for that which is an act of god's grace it's a gift to you and i spiritual gifts and so that that says to me that in the functioning and the working of spiritual gifts i really think we should be bold that we should go for it that we should step out in faith For the good of the body. Function in the place God has called you to serve. And so Paul begins to list off some of the gifts. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Wow. Right. Gifts. Let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. The, the gift of prophecy is to, be, is to be practiced in proportion to faith. Which means this. If God has given you something to say to an individual or to, to the church. If you cannot you know, share that in faith knowing that God has spoken to you. Then don't speak. But if confident that God has spoken. Then in faith trust him and speak. You know, the gift of prophecy is a wonderful gift. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, I wish you would all prophesy. And the gift of prophecy, we, we often equate it with the foretelling of the future. And prophecy does have a, a foretelling element to it, but more it's a forthtelling element. Primarily, prophecy is more accurately could be defined as making the heart and the mind of God known to his people. And sometimes that has a predictive element to it and other times it doesn't. Prophecy declares truth. Prophecy declares Jesus. So he says if you have that gift in faith, exercise it. Look at verse 7. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's kind of cruise down that list. The gift of serving. That simply describes serving the church in practical ways. You know D- Jesus did that. You know he, he would teach and then he would touch people's practical needs. He would touch their practical needs. In the book of Acts, there's lots of stories of good examples in the, in the early church. There was that, that woman by the name of, of Dorcas who was a good example of the gift of one who served. She ministered with people with the simplest of acts, doing good, helping the poor, making clothing. Maybe you have the gift of service. Hey man, there's like four, four to seven people down the street sleeping in our other church building every night. Maybe you can make a meal for them. The gift of teaching. Teachers define truth. Jesus, in his in his teaching, would take a truth, he'd take an Old Testament law or something, like, do not commit murder. And he'd put a definition to it. And he teach that he taught that, that anger in your heart against another human being is the spirit of murder. And people were amazed at the teaching of Jesus because he taught not as the teachers of the law, but he taught as one with authority. So teachers define truth. There's the gift of exhortation. Paul calls it that's encouragement. But, but the idea has to do with encouragement. But it's it's encouragement that strongly urges action, not just like hey, I really like your shirt. No, it's like it's encouragement that encourages action and exhorts other people to put their faith to work. Put put. Feet to their faith. Encourage them to do what they've been taught to do. This is a gift of giving, Paul refers to. Refers to someone who, through God, provides resources for the body. It's an important spiritual gift. And he says, if you have that gift, do it and be generous. This is the gift of leadership. That refers to, to those who can offer guidance and direction and leadership. It's, you know, it's easy if you're a leader to, to get frustrated and and to give up. And so Paul says, if you have the gift of leadership, you need to function with zeal in that role. Do so with diligence. Be thorough. Have zeal. Be attentive with an attitude of persistence. He says there's a gift of mercy. Those with the gift of mercy are understanding. They're comforting to others and in need of comfort. I'm thankful. I've like seen the gift of mercy function in this church already this morning. Someone said, this is going on. This is going on. Can we pray about this? I'm like, man, it's awesome. And so those with the gift of mercy need to get involved with people that need mercy, people that are, are suffering. Lift them up with a cheerful attitude. Encourage them. Pray with them. And so Paul goes through this, this list of, of gifts And we're going to see next week as he continues with the instructions, he's going to talk about our dealings with other believers and he's going to talk about our attitudes in that and he's going to talk especially when we're dealing in spiritual gifts and we're going to get to that next week. But here's the key for me when I think about functioning in the gifts. He says it's in proportion to the measure of your faith. And he says, don't be a snob, man. Don't be... Don't be so focused on yourself that you neglect others in the body. Serve them. Don't neglect your gifts. And it has to do with the measure of your faith. You know, when you think about faith, faith, the scripture tells us, faith itself is a gift from the Lord. And faith is really, you know, to kind of close the circle on this section of scripture, this is for me where it comes full circle. Full circle. Faith is the fruit of a transformed mind. You know, Romans tells us, Romans chapter 6, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't get the cart before the, the horse. You want to function in these gifts? Present your body to God. Have a transformed mind. Then, as faith grows, you step out into the gifts of the Lord has called you to. Boy, the conclusion of this message, like really simple. Offer yourself as a sacrifice, a dedicated body. Offer your body to the Lord. This is a daily practice. Say, God, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Second thing the Lord wants. He wants to decontaminate your mind. He wants to renovate that space. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind every day. Time here. Time with the Lord. Don't let that turn you into a spiritual snob. Okay, no snobs allowed here. (laughs) No holier-than-thou attitude. We, We love one another. We spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And in faith, step into the gifts God has called you. Exercise your gifts in accordance with the faith you have, the measure of your faith. Let's pray this morning. Would you guys stand with me? Lord, we just thank you for your word. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you're practical. Thank you, Lord, that you give us really practical ways to grow, God. And Lord, we desire that. Lord, we we desire that you'd come and renovate our thinking, that you'd transform us, that you'd change us. Lord, we don't want to be chameleons in this world, God. We want to be those who are transformed by you. And so, Lord, again, we present ourselves to you. Living sacrifices, Lord. This morning, God, this is what we were singing. Come to the altar. Lord, we get up on the altar and we present ourselves to you. Lord, we pray that you would reveal your will. Lord, for each person here, I just pray, God, that there would be revelations for them this week in regards to your will for their lives. Lord, fill us with a heart of faith, I pray, that we would step into the gifts and calling upon our lives. Lord, I just thank you for your people this morning. Pray your blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen.